Shall we pray? May my words and our thoughts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I want to say thank you, Dr. Walton, for inviting me to speak in this beautiful and historic church. I'm really thrilled to be here in the center of Harvard Yard this morning. You know, given my background, no one could have ever predicted that I would be speaking with you today. I grew up in a large Appalachian family in Southern Ohio. I was one of nine kids. During my younger years, we lived on a dirt road called Duck Run. And you know, I'm proud to have grown up on that little country road because a kid by the name of Leonard Sly left home, went to Hollywood, adopted the stage name of Roy Rogers and became king of the cowboys. He grew up on Duck Run as did Branch Rickey, the man who integrated Major League Baseball when he signed Jackie Robinson to the Major Leagues. So, you know, Duck Run has produced some pretty good role models. You know, we were kind of poor, but so was everyone else that I knew. We had an outhouse. We got our water from a well. We went barefoot in the summertime. We saved our shoes for school. We had a big garden, pigs, chickens, cows, and horses. With the help of a lot of people, I was the first in my family to go to college. I ended up with multiple graduate degrees, served in the Congress, and as governor of the state of Ohio. During the 12 years I served in the House of Representatives and the four years in the governor's office, I kept a small plaque with the words of the text from the book of Micah proudly displayed in my offices. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? That plaque was given to me by an old man I met when visiting a senior citizen's retirement home shortly after I was elected to Congress. He told me he wanted me to think of those words when I made decisions as a new congressman. So I kept that plaque nearby as a visual reminder of the circumstances I came from and because I believe those words those three admonitions summarize the central teachings of all the great religions of the world. For me, they represent a roadmap for how we should live out our lives with personal and social integrity. Doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly. But you know what I found out during my years in public office and since? That it's a lot easier to read those words than to live them. And so this morning, I would like to take us back a few thousand years to the time of the prophet Micah, who lived about 700 BC. And I do that with the hope that Micah's message to the people of Israel, 
is a message with meaning for America today. A message that can help us find the way to live in loving harmony with our brothers and sisters. Throughout the history of the Israeli people, God used his prophets to call attention to social injustices and to correct a society that had lost its way. Micah was one of those social prophets, and he was used by God to chastise his people for their superficial excesses of worship, while at the same time turning a blind eye to the social injustices and human sufferings which existed all around them. Now, without warning to accept responsibility for their failings, they inquired somewhat sarcastically, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? And then they asked a question that showed even greater belligerence. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Micah replied, He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. A short answer, but it got to the point. There was no need to embellish. Micah was clarifying that God is not satisfied with burnt offerings or sacrificial animals. God doesn't want superficial ritual or stale worship, devoid of ethical living and a concern for others. What pleases God is that we do the hard work of fighting for justice, that we treat each other with loving kindness, and that with humility we care for the vulnerable. For in so doing, we will be walking with him. Early in my professional career, I was a psychologist. And through some very unusual circumstances, I found myself working with mentally ill patients, inmates, in a maximum security prison. It was a crowded, unforgiving, violent place. Certainly not an appropriate place for someone suffering from a serious mental illness. As a result of that work though, I learned that justice exists for some in our country, but not for everyone. I saw too many young men, disproportionately young men of color, locked away for too many years with little being done to help them prepare for a successful life once they were released from prison. I saw seriously mentally ill individuals languish in prison because there were no treatment or housing facilities available for them in the community. And today, anyone with an open mind 
and a tender heart, is painfully aware that far too many young, unarmed African-Americans and other minorities are losing their lives at the hands of law enforcement officers. We cannot escape the truth that to do justice means to actively confront and oppose power structures that support social, economic, and political injustice. Now, I understand that it may be hard for many of us to know how to confront power without violating Micah's admonition to love kindness and show mercy even when dealing with those who disagree with us. How can we stand strong against injustice in our society without slipping into an angry and self-righteous way of relating to others? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. contemplated this dilemma when he wrote, one of the greatest problems of history is that the concepts of love and power are usually contrasted as polar opposites. Love is identified with a resignation of power and power with a denial of love. What is needed, Dr. King said, is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive, and love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. Justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love. I agree with Dr. King. We can and should confront injustice while maintaining an attitude of loving kindness. We can be strong and loving at the same time. Perhaps Francis, St. Francis de Sales captured this truth best when he wrote, Nothing is so strong as gentleness. Nothing is so gentle as real strength. And so it was with Micah. He had the courage to speak truth to power. He was specific when identifying the sins of the ancient Israelites. The privileged and the wealthy were oppressing the poor. Political leaders were looking out for themselves instead of doing what was right for the people. The well-connected were maintaining an unjust economic system. He described the conditions in which the rich were able to oppress the poor because they controlled the power structures of their society. And that, my friends, is what makes Micah's 3,000-year-old message so relevant to life in America today. Who can argue that those in politi political leadership are not putting their interests over the needs of the people when 95% of our citizens want universal background checks for those who are buying guns, and yet the NRA is keeping this common sense gun safety measure from becoming law? Who can argue 
that we do not have an unjust economic system when the wealth gap in America is growing by the day and yet Washington recently passed a huge tax cut to benefit the already wealthy while so many of our most vulnerable citizens go without even the most basic resources needed for survival. Who can argue that the poorest of our people are not being oppressed and exploited by those who have wealth and power? Could that be why the federal minimum wage is stuck at $7.25 an hour and hasn't been increased since 2009? $7.25 an hour times 40 hours is about $290 a week. Have any of you ever tried to live on $290 a week? I tried. A couple of years ago, while I was living in Washington, D.C., I took the minimum wage challenge, living on the minimum wage for a week. I was successful for five days. I ate bologna sandwiches, bananas, they're pretty cheap, and lots of bread and peanut butter. During that week, I had to watch every penny I spent. One morning, I had a meeting with uh, Senator Sherrod Brown in his Senate office, and I was running a little late. So I threw up my hand to flag a cab, and then I realized I can't spend money on a cab. It was a hot summer day, and so I ran up Capitol Hill, sweating profusely, arriving late for my appointment. On the fifth day, I received an unexpected call from my nephew telling me he was coming to Washington for three days of training before being sent to Afghanistan. I decided to take my nephew out to dinner, and that blew my effort to get through the week on the minimum wage. I learned something from that experience. I learned how hard life can be for those who have so little. I've asked myself, how many families with a loved one being sent into a war zone would be unable to even share a meal with that loved one before they were shipped out to serve our country in some distant and dangerous land? Now, I suppose some of my conservative friends could accuse me of misunderstanding Micah's message. They could accuse me of taking a message intended to be spiritual guidance for individuals and applying it to all of our secular society. But God, through Micah, was speaking of the sinfulness of the social order. It was the social order government, if you will, that was failing to meet God's standard for just and merciful behaviors. And as was true in Micah's time, right now, our social orders is exceedingly out of balance. Looking back over my life, I've been very fortunate to serve as a United Methodist minister, to work with children suffering from abuse and neglect, 
to teach students at a state university, to provide mental health treatment to prison inmates, and eventually serve in Congress and in the governor's office. And in each of those roles, I have met wonderfully empathetic and caring people. I would like to introduce you to a couple of them. Barbara is a school bus driver. She doesn't make a lot of money. Her salary is small, but her heart is very large. Barbara is aware that many of the young children she drives to and from school are from poor families. She worries that they may be hungry. So Barbara buys health bars with her own money and gives them to the children. Barbara's concern for those kids is an example of loving kindness. And then there's Tawanda. She's a consultant and was recently working on a computer system in a school cafeteria. The school had a free breakfast program for needy kids. But in order to receive food, the children had to arrive at school in time to eat before going to their homerooms at 8 o'clock. One morning, Twanda noticed a small boy enter the cafeteria a couple of minutes before 8. And she watched as the cafeteria lady scolded him for being late, telling him he had not observed the rules and would not be able to eat breakfast that morning. The little guy was devastated. He collapsed onto a chair and began sobbing. Tawanda's heart was touched by what she saw. She told the cafeteria lady to feed the child, saying that she would accept blame for that decision if anyone objected. I think Tawanda was doing justice and showing kindness when she stood up for that little child. Last year, shortly before Christmas, I was driving from Columbus, Ohio to Athens, Ohio to teach a course at Ohio University. It was a bitterly cold morning and I was about 12 miles from Athens when I passed a man hitchhiking alongside the highway. Often I don't stop and pick up hitchhikers, but on that morning, because it was so cold and because he looked so beaten down, I stopped. He came running down the highway, jumped into my car, and he said, thanks for stopping. Most people don't stop nowadays, but I can understand why they don't. I said, tell me about yourself. He said, well, I just got out of prison and on my, I'm on my way to drug treatment. I'm really trying to kick this drug habit, he said, and if I miss three treatment sessions, they'll kick me out of the program. I haven't missed any yet. I'll be late this morning, but I don't think they'll be too upset as long as I just show up. As we traveled down the highway, he told me why he was sent to prison. He talked about his young daughter and how much he loved her. He talked about how hard it is to find a job once you've been in prison. He said he wished he had a car because it would be easier to find a job if he had a car. 
I dropped him off at the treatment center and as he left my car, he thanked me profusely for stopping to pick him up. And I guess that was a, a kind thing for me to have done. And I felt good for having done it. But I was reminded once again of how hard life can be for some people and why those to whom much is given, much should be required. I think of that man often. No car, no job, a prison record, fighting an addiction, separated from his daughter, and trying to get to drug treatment on a cold December morning. I didn't tell you this story to pat myself on the back or to suggest that you should stop to pick up strangers along the highway. Quite frankly, I'm not sure why I stopped. Perhaps because I've worked with people who are oftentimes violent and volatile and dangerous, I intuitively felt comfortable with the situation. But let me say in closing that life presents all of us with opportunities on a daily basis to speak up for those who are mistreated and marginalized, to be empathetic and loving toward others, even strangers, and to do those things with an attitude of humble appreciation. So I leave you with Micah's message for today. Go forth, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Amen. Let it be so.